pleased to welcome the McRae family following the service. We now have the privilege of God speaking to us and reminding us of his love in the gospel of our Lord Jesus as we hear now from Hebrews 13, continuing through this great book and all its great encouragements at the end. I know I've been so encouraged going through this final chapter of Hebrews. I hope you have been as well. We'll be in Hebrews 13, focusing particularly on 11 through 14, but we'll get a running start by beginning in verse 8. This is found on page 1197. Please rise out of respect for God's infallible word. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have no, not benefit those, benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Amen. This far, the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you not only save us, and you not only tell us what it means that we're saved, but that then you tell us how we should live in very practical and forthright ways. And yet, at the same time, Lord, some of these ways of living for Jesus are not easy. And we pray that you would give us not just the knowledge of how to serve, but the grace and the will to do even the hard things. And we pray that you would refresh us with your grace now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do people in your life know that you are a Christian. Think about where you have regular interactions outside of church, um, sports, at work, maybe with your extended family. Do those people know you, not just as a Christian, but as a serious follower of Jesus, someone who loves him and wants to serve him? And as we think back through the millennia of history, um, there have been times where there have been a, a great deal of pressure on society as a whole to identify as a Christian, where, like, if you're not a Christian, not a member of a church, you're definitely on the outside of society, and there's a lot of pressure to conform. And so what's going to happen? There's going to be a lot of false professions of faith, right? There's going to be a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, but there's no personal connection to Jesus. I think it's no surprise to you that that is not... <laughs> the phase of history we're living in, especially increasingly in this present age. It is especially unpopular, and it's growing in its unpopularity in being a Christian. Uh, to take one example, 
the trendy college scene, sort of the intellectual highbrow part of our society. To be a Christian in most colleges today, whether you're a prof or a student, to be a Christian today in, in colleges is largely to be a bad person, an enemy of society, someone who is intolerant, someone who believes the absurdly backward idea that relations outside of marriage are wrong or that homosexuality is wrong, someone who is so intellectually backward as to actually not believe in evolution or the other assured results of science. And of course, it's not just at colleges, right? Um, there are plenty of other s settings, too, where being a Christian and identifying as a Christian is not going to help you in the terms of the worldly sense. It's not going to win you any friends, help you to influence people. So as Christians, we may today have our little enclaves. We have, you know, church. We have various um, outside-of-church groups where you can be safe and nobody's going to attack you for being a Christian. But more and more... Being a Christian and identifying publicly as a Christian is going to cost you. So are you willing? Are you willing to do so? That's the, that's the issue that this text for today is going to challenge us on. The author of Hebrews is going to challenge us that it is vitally important that we publicly identify with Jesus. So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk first about how Jesus publicly identified with us. That'll be the first point, how he bore public shame for our sake. And then we'll talk about how we're called to endure shame with him. And then we'll talk about how the gospel refreshes us. It gives us the strength because this is not exactly a fun or easy thing that we're talking about. So let's first talk about Jesus. What, what did he do for us when he suffered and died on the cross? Well, most of Hebrews is about how when he died on the cross, it was a shedding of his sacrificial blood. So you have all those sacrificial animals back in the Old Testament. What was happening? There was a substitute, this animal that was dying, and its blood was being shed so that Israel wouldn't die. And all of those are pointing forward to Jesus. His cleansing blood, the great sacrifice which only had to be offered once when he died once for all on the cross why was it just once because his blood is so infinitely valuable so much more valuable than the blood of millions of bulls and goats and whatever and not only that not only was it so valuable but it was so effective like his his blood really did count for our sins he really did cleanse us decisively through his sacrifice. We're not guilty anymore. He doesn't have to keep being sacrificed over and over again. But there's another aspect to what Jesus did as he was dying there on the cross outside the city of Jerusalem. And it was a taking away not just of our guilt, but also our shame. And that's something we don't often think about, but we should think about when we think about the gospel, when we think about the good news of Jesus. It's not just that we're guilty, but we're also covered with shame particularly before God. We're not like proud of our lives and all the sin that we've done when we think about standing before the throne of grace. And so Jesus came to take away our shame too. And here's how this passage shows us this. In verse 11, it says, the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places 
by the high priest, that's a hint, we'll talk about those in a second, as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. Okay, so what's he remembering here? There are lots of different sacrifices in the Old Testament, but there is one very special sacrifice that only happened once per year. And this is the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement when the high priest would go into that most holy place, the innermost part of the tabernacle or later of the temple. It was the only time he ever entered that place. And it was this great final sacrifice. All these other sacrifices that God appointed in the Old Covenant were for various kinds of sins. But then there was this one sacrifice that covered all the rest that weren't covered by those, those other sacrifices. It's this one time per year on the seventh month when the high priest entered the most holy place to atone for Israel. And what the author wants us to remember is what happened. You know, he brought the, the blood of the bull in, in there into the most holy place. Well, what happened to the body of that animal that was slain? What were they supposed to do? He says, they brought it outside the camp to be burned. They brought it outside the camp to be burned. Now, why, why is he <laughs> drawing our attention to this rather obscure part of the Old Testament? Well, he wants us to understand something about sin about God's view of sin. He's saying, look, remember when God appointed that? How he said, now, you know, bring the blood into the most holy place, but as for the body, take it outside uh, of the camp and burn it. He's trying to show us something about God's view of sin. This is God's way of saying, this is what I think of sin. Sin cannot abide in my presence. It must be burned far away from me. It has no place among me. And my people, I want it far away from me as possible. And this is connected to other consequences in the Bible. So Leviticus 24 talks about when somebody was a blasphemer, say they're like publicly saying all kinds of filthy, awful things about God. Well, what happens? It says, bring them outside the camp and put them to death. Same thing in Numbers 15 for a Sabbath breaker. They were to take, be taken outside the camp to be put to death. And so when the Day of Atonement sacrifice is brought outside the camp and is burned, what's happening? It's showing how God is removing sin from his people. His people all deserve this. They all deserve to die and have their blood shed. They all deserve to be burned outside the camp. What happens? The sacrificial victim is doing it in our place. And it's all picturing for us something that's still to come. And there's all these shadows in the Old Testament about things that are really important coming in the future. And the greatest moment of God rejecting sin that's yet to come is described for us in Revelation chapter 20. In that chapter, it talks about how God on the day of judgment is going to take Satan and all his host and everybody who has not repented of their sin. And he's going to throw them out into the outer darkness into the lake of fire where they will be burned outside the camp. In other words, what was being pictured here with this bull being burned outside the camp, that's what hell is. It is a burning outside of the presence of God, never again permitted into God's holy city. Today, in this present time, this very day, there's all kinds of, you know, sinners and saints rubbing shoulders together. That's, that's what's happening day after day after day here in this present time of waiting for the day of judgment. But one day, God will come, and he will separate the sheep from the goats. He will separate those who have been made righteous through the blood of Christ, 
because none of us are worthy in ourselves. And he'll separate those who refuse to repent and receive that salvation. And he's separating, what's happening there? He's separating sin far from us. Because sin would utterly ruin heaven. Think about what it does here on earth. It would utterly ruin heaven. So he's separating forever. This is what's going to make heaven so great. No more sin. This is what God thinks of sin. He wants it far, far from him. Now, lots of people would hear all this and say, you know, frankly, this is what I hate about God. He's the ultimate excluder. He's the ultimate intolerant person. Before any of us takes that thought any further, I want us to read verse 12. Because this is incredible. But just when you're thinking that, it says this. Just like those animals that were burned, so Jesus also suffered. Outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. In other words, this is so incredible. Here, God himself has come in the person of Jesus Christ to suffer the rejection and the consequences of sin outside the camp in our place. It, it is, we, we remember the cross not just as the moment of unspeakable pain, but also as the moment of unspeakable shame. He was rejected by his own people. He was rejected by the Gentiles, you know, Pilate saying, whatever. He was rejected even by his own beloved disciple, Peter, who says, I don't know this guy. And then on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The father himself turning his face away, doing what he always does in the face of sin, rejecting it, casting it away from him. Jesus had taken our sin on himself. And so he sent, God sent, think of this, his own rejecting wrath on his son who was crucified outside the camp. And so when we're thinking about what happened to that bull and how its blood was shed and then it was burned outside the camp, we should see it as a picture of Jesus. Jesus who is suffering outside of the camp, shamed by all, rejected by all, including God the Father, so that we might be accepted. He was rejected so that we might be accepted. He suffered outside the walls of Jerusalem so that we would see he is the fulfillment of everything that special day of atonement sacrifice was meant to point to. And I hope you, that shows you the glory of God. I hope you look at that and you say, wow, God is awesome. He's not an intolerant hater the way the world thinks of intolerance. In Jesus, we see simultaneously that God does hate. He hates sin. He is a holy God, and it's right for him to say, this is terrible. I'm not going to say this is okay. I'm not going to pretend I like this. But we see in Jesus simultaneously not just that hatred of sin, but also that love and that grace that he shows to people like us who perpetrate those sins. And we see his willingness to endure the rejection that we deserve so that we would never need to fear his rejection. And just think of that, that thing I just said. We will never need to fear his rejection. Just think about that for a second. That is an awesome part of the gospel. Like if you believe in Jesus, no matter how much right now today you are struggling with all kinds of things, maybe despair, sin, maybe it's bodily affliction, you're just not feeling really close to God, you will never be rejected. Never be rejected. How do you know that? Because Jesus was rejected in your place 
the outer darkness, the burning forever. That is not for you, brother and sister in Christ. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you, you don't have to be afraid of that. You don't have to be afraid. He's going to reject you. In fact, you're not allowed to call yourself a reject. Are some of you tempted to call yourself a reject? No. God says, this is how much you're my treasure. I sent my son to be rejected on your behalf so that I might now make you my treasure forever. So no matter how much people may reject you, no matter how much you may be tempted to reject yourself, God in the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice says, I am yours. That is glorious gospel. And if we understand that, and we understand the glory of what God did in Jesus publicly identifying with us in our shame and bearing our shame outside the camp, we can then understand what he says in verse 13. Therefore, given all that Jesus has done for us, therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Now, if you've been tracking through the letter of Hebrews for however long we've been in this, a long time, um, this is actually kind of a surprising verse. Because every other time in Hebrews up to this point where it talks about let's go somewhere, let's go 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 someplace, it's always been for good places. One person pointed this out to me. I think it's a great observation. 4.11. In Hebrews 4.11, it says, make every effort to enter the rest of God. Nice, we'd like that. 4.16, approach the throne of grace to find help in your time of need. Yes, we would like grace and help in our time of need. We'd like to go to the throne of grace. Or 10.22, let us draw near to God into the most holy place with full assurance of faith. In other words, not just the high priest. We get to go there now because of the cleansing blood of Jesus. Those are all good things. That's, we'd like to go to all those places. But now he says... Go into the outer darkness where Jesus suffered and bear the suffering with him. What? <laughs> that should really throw us back. What does it mean? How are we supposed to do that? And how does it go with all these positive movements that we just talked about? Well, let's talk about first, what does this mean? To go outside the camp and suffer with Jesus. What does that mean? What does it mean to bear the reproach that Jesus himself endured? Well, here's a couple things that it means. First thing, it means that we publicly identify with Jesus no matter what. Publicly identify with Jesus no matter the cost. This, the very first thing this means is becoming a member of a church. What does it mean to be a member of a church? It means you are a public Christian. It's not just, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But no, you're saying it publicly here, as the McCrays have just done. What is the essence of all that they said? I believe. And that also is, of course, what baptism is about. Baptism is a public naming ceremony. It's more about what God says than about what we say. In baptism, God publicly names us as his children. He says, this person is mine publicly. My name is now set upon them. And of course, that's a wonderful thing when we love God. But I hope you also realize that because we bear the name of Jesus, who's a suffering Savior, a rejected Savior, 
Baptism is also the moment when we receive our badge of shame in the eyes of the world. Of course, it's not anything we're ashamed of. But it is, in the eyes of the world, the moment when we say, okay, the world now is going to look at us and say we're rejects. We are the scum of the earth. In baptism, we are taking up the full identity of Jesus. And that means a willingness to suffer the same reproach he did. So when we carry his name, that's a wonderful thing. But it also means we are hereby renouncing all claims and all hopes of worldly recognition. That's a pretty big thing. So let's dig a little deeper. Because if you're like me and you struggle with people-pleasing, this is one of the greatest costs of the Sabbath church. I absolutely hate it. Public confession. <laughs> I absolutely hate it when people are mad at me. <laughs> um, I, I, I remember once coming to this, this uh, four-way stop, and I, I think I've shared this story before. Uh, I was there way ahead of the other guy. The other guy plows through the <laughs> intersection, nailing on the horn and, like, super upset with me. Uh, I was like, what did I do? I was, I was so disoriented, right? <laughs> um, because why? Not just I was in the right, okay, fine, but I work so hard to make sure that never happens, to make sure that people are never upset with me. And I think that's true for a lot of us, that for many of us, our worst nightmare is not like bodily suffering. Our worst su nightmare is being shunned, rejected, yelled at, left out, isolated, ridiculed, falsely accused, alone, friendless. Is that you? Do you realize what this text is saying? That's what you signed up for when you became a Christian. <laughs> Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. It's saying those things you hate having happened to you, you are willingly embracing those things. You're willingly saying, yeah, I'm willing. I'm willing. In fact, Matthew 5.11, Jesus said, blessed are you. It's actually a good thing. It says, blessed are you when others revile you. Remember the word blessed in the Beatitudes could also be translated happy. <laughs> happy are you. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil falsely against you on my account. Now, it's important, you know, falsely on my account, right? This is not saying... This is your ticket to be as obnoxious as you possibly can. Right? This is not what this is talking about. This is not talking about, okay, Christian, you are now permitted to be as proud and as self-righteous and as hateful. <laughs> no, that's not what he's saying. No, we are to, as far as possible, as far as it depends on us, Romans 12, live at peace with all people. But it is saying that we're willing, willing to bear reproach. So here's some practical implications. If the world calls you to obey Jesus, you must not do it. Sorry, if the world calls you to disobey Jesus, did I say that right? <laughs> the world, the world, if the world calls you to disobey Jesus, you must not do it. Your employer tells you to lie to a customer so that the company gets more money. You say, no, I can't. Or you're underage and your friend says, hey, let's go drink or you can't be my friend anymore. Say, no, not going to do it. No matter the cost, we will be a people of integrity. We will obey Jesus, even in those times when the world calls us to disobey. And, and I just want to warn you, very, the very first compromise you'll be asked to make by the world is not probably something you have to do. 
or something you have to say. You don't have to do this thing. All you have to do is just say it to God. And that's not the way. Second, practically speaking, what does it mean to go outside of the gate and suffer repose with Jesus? It means that we must not change our message or leave anything out to make it more palatable. I love this quote from Martin Luther. If I profess with the loudest voice and the clearest exposition every portion of the truth of God except precisely that little point which the world and the devil are at that moment attacking, I am not confessing Christ, however boldly I may be professing Christianity. Where the battle rages, the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides, all the other parts besides, is mere flight and disgrace to him if you, the soldier, flinch on that one point. So what are those places where we're most tempted to flinch and water down our message? Here are at least three. Exclusivism. These are things the world at the present time hates about Christianity. Exclusivism, the fact that we believe that there's only one truth, only one way of salvation. That actually has always been offensive. People have always hated that. That Jesus is the only way. It's hard to stomach, but it's true because there's only one sacrifice. Or intolerance, what people call intolerance. The fact that we will not say sin is okay. The world hates this. The world says, look, if you don't support everything about my life, that means you don't love me. Actually, it is loving when we don't encourage people in sin, the things that will destroy them. Sin is always self-destructive. The most loving thing we can do is say, look, please don't do that. It's not right. Or inerrancy, the fact that we believe the historicity and complete truthfulness of the Bible. The world looks at that and says, how can you be so stupid? How can you be so closed-minded? It's just been shown that so much of the Bible is historically false, creation, creation is totally unscientific. Again, what are we saying? Okay, you can call me names. I'm taking God at his word. It's true. I'm going to follow him. Even sometimes when things... I don't fully understand. I know he doesn't lie. So we must not disobey Jesus. We must not water down our message. And third, we must die to your ambition to be respected in the eyes of the world. Sometimes Christians do get positions of great influence and favor in the eyes of the world. Okay, fine. Use that for, use that for the glory of God. But it's not the goal. Few examples. Imagine, imagine you've got a group of guys who form a Christian band, and they're starting to attain some level of popularity. But they realize they could go really big if they drop their Christian name and their Christian identity. A lot of people would say, "Go for it." No. Or imagine you're a doctor and you're starting to gain some notoriety. You're really doing well in your field, and you have the opportunity to be part of a really influential board that can help to shape a lot of medical policy. You just have to support transgenderism. It's just, just this one little thing. What will you do? Or people who go into biblical scholarship, you know, this was back, back at Wheaton, what I was doing. There's tremendous pressure to hide your Christianity so you can get published in the elite journals and be influential, well-known. If your drive is to be respected, all those things will be very tempting. You need to die need to let that go. So brothers and sisters, don't hide your Christianity. Don't compromise on your loyalty to Jesus for the sake of greater influence. He says here, we don't have a lasting city. 
We're not trying to win the approval of the world or build our little kingdoms here. No. We're willing to go outside the camp to suffer with Jesus. So are you willing? Are you willing to be called a hater, a closed-minded moron, to be assigned an obscure place because of Jesus? Those are pretty harsh things. Sometimes it's a little bit more tame, but still very tricky. Are you willing to be treated as a weirdo? For the sake of Jesus, are you willing to be laughed at behind your back? Are you willing to be an outsider? Sometimes this comes from the world. Sometimes it even comes from Christians. Are you willing? And just in the last minute or so here, I want to remind you of the gospel. Why, why Jesus helps us, how he helps us to be willing. And it's all about what I said earlier. Do you remember how he said, go outside the camp? That's a really weird command when he just said all these other things. Go to the throne of grace right? Approach the throne of grace. Go into the most holy place. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that's to come. We go, the commands go together. We go out of the city of man, and we say, I am willing to lose all the respect of the people around me if it's for Jesus' sake. We go out of the city of man, suffer with Jesus, so that we can go where Jesus went, to the city of God, the true Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. If you follow Jesus outside of the camp, outside of the old creation city, and you suffer with him and are willing to forgo all respect in the eyes of the world, you are blessed. 1 Peter 4. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It all comes back to faith. This is the cure to the fear of man. Faith. I believe that no matter how much I am shamed and rejected by this world, that God will not turn me away. That on the last day, when I stand before him in glory, he will say, welcome. And that will be <laughs> worth it all. And I'm trusting. He's going to be true. To his promise. Here we have no lasting city. You can't keep all the respect that you try to get. It's all a counterfeit reward. What matters is the acceptance of God. And when you start to get this, it's just so liberating. You start actually looking for opportunities to share about Jesus. You, you actually are praying that God would help you to speak up about him. You're trying to be winsome. You're trying not to be offensive. You want people to know Christ. You want them to know this love too. That's why we care. That's why we're doing this. So do your friends know you're a Christian? Are you willing to be put to shame with Jesus outside the city of man? If so, then you, the outsider, will one day be in the inner courts of God's love. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this hope. We are really, really, uh, it's really, really hard for us as Christians to accept that we are called to suffer shame with Jesus in this present life. Lord, it's nice when we are spared this, but we know this is part of discipleship and that this does very often come. And we pray that you would help us not to be ashamed of Jesus, but to publicly own him, no matter the cost. And that, Lord, we'd be willing to make this costly move the move of integrity, because we really believe that the reward is there, that you really are going to receive us, thanks to Jesus and his sacrifice for us. Oh, Lord, we need your courage. 
We pray you would strengthen us in our faith. And we ask it in Jesus' name.